oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, unfortunately, the crisis on our streets is going from bad to worse. Mohammed Majidur is a violent, prolific offender with over 30 convictions, ranging from assault, assault with a weapon, and uttering threats. He is accused of viciously attacking a 19-year-old Asian woman, yelling racial slurs, and hit, hitting her over the head with a steel pipe. And despite the best efforts of police, this prolific, violent offender was released back onto the streets on Sunday. And now we've learned that it took only two hours and 18 minutes for him to again victimize the community and commit yet another crime. Now yesterday when canvassing these issues around street crime, the Attorney General threw his hands in the air and said that being a victim of crime is a fact of life. And I would argue that it's that exact attitude that the NDP have that is both wrong and unacceptable. So my question to the Attorney General, for over six months, we have been suggesting specific actions that this NDP government can take. And British Columbians can't wait any longer. Will he issue a directive to the Crown prosecutors that puts the rights of the public to feel safe in their communities ahead of the right of, of a criminal's right to reoffend. Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. These acts of violence that the Honourable Leader of the Opposition has uh, referred to are totally unacceptable. People who commit them must face consequences. As I've said previously this week, we have been examining the issue of uh, directives and have also examined the proposal specifically given to us uh, by the Honourable Member for Abbotsford West. I have received, however, Mr. Speaker, legal advice that the member's proposal would be inconsistent with the Criminal Code of Canada. That said, we continue to examine every tool in the toolkit. We cannot change the criminal law of Canada in this place with a provincial directive, and that is why, Mr. Speaker, we have secured a national commitment to engage on concrete proposals around bail reform with our colleagues across the country. We will continue to strengthen enforcement and address the root causes of crime to end this cycle of reoffending. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, the, the problem is that we hear from Crown prosecutors too, and we also hear from defence lawyers. And to a person, they all agree that actually this government could do lots to address the current challenges. Just last year, Mr. Majidpour was recorded on video stalking a young woman through Chinatown for over a half an hour. But harassment charges were stayed in a joint submission between Crown and his lawyer. And instead, he pleaded guilty to unrelated incidents of assault with a weapon, assault uttering, sorry, excuse me, uttering threats, and break and enters. And yet, just one day later, he was back on the street and on probation, which he promptly violated multiple times. And this week, after viciously attacking that young woman with a steel pipe, 
he walked free once again. And only two hours and 18 minutes later, he's committing yet more crimes in the community. So my, my question, almost a plea to the NDP government, this is not the time for more reviewing, not the time for more meetings to have more meetings. It is, it is in action. Those are not acceptable answers to a public that is pleading for this government to do something. We have laid out, the opposition has laid out concrete suggestions. We're simply asking, will the Attorney General at long last act on them? And if not, why not? Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm not able to comment on the specifics of the case to which the member responds. I can say that we are seized with this issue, as are our colleagues across the country. As I've said in this place, this issue is, of course, a national issue in scope. It, it is rooted in the bail reform legislation, and we are working with our federal colleagues at an urgent level to, to address that. Uh, Mr. Speaker, all, our goal is to show action on the streets, to use, as I said earlier, every tool in our toolkit to, to make constructive change. We recognize that frustration. The, minister, uh, the member opposite has certainly articulated the same frustration that we feel. We need to take action. We're going to do that. We are doing that. Member for Kelowna Mission. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's hard to believe that this minister would rather talk than take action and is still trying to blame others instead of taking responsibility. This NDP government is failing to keep violent, prolific offenders in custody. Here's another example. Justin Collins has over 421 police files with 64 charges against him in six years. This is a man that the Kelowna RCMP felt compelled to warn the public about after he was released back into our community. A review of the court transcripts confirms that in the weeks leading up to that rare public warning, the Crown Prosecutor, not the judge, chose to stay charges and waive conditions to avoid, and I'll quote, setting Mr. Collins up for a breach, end quote. This is where we are. So afraid that someone will breach their bail conditions that they won't actually be charged. Will the Attorney General do his job and immediately direct prosecutors to seek custody for violent prolific offenders who are a risk to our communities? Attorney General. I share the frustration of the Honourable Member. I'm, of course, aware of the situation specifically that she refers to and have spoken, of course, with members of the, uh, the municipal government in Kelowna about the, that particular case. Many of the issues, as a member is well aware, involve mental health and uh, drug issues that uh, we need to address. And we have taken and will continue to take uh, action to address those. We are strengthening, for example, enforcement through uh, the Prolific Offenders Management Program. We think that has merit. We think that police with whom I've spoken think it would have merit and would address the problem because they would provide individualized care for those small number of people that are, in, are, are, 
are plaguing many of our communities, Mr. Speaker, across our, our province. We also believe that new peer-assisted care teams with mental health civil-led response will help make a difference. People who know about the issues I just referred to so they can provide care, and we're doing that in Victoria, we're doing that in New West, and we're rolling out a similar program in the North Shore. Mr. Speaker, complex care housing is another matter that I know will make a difference, and we are, are, are committed to uh, at least 500 people being housed in those, in those facilities. Finally, Mr. Speaker, I think another practical measure that we're taking is to deal with those people who, once, leave, once leaving a correctional facilities, often fall back onto the streets. We're trying to make sure that for at least a 90-day period in every single one of those correctional facilities in our province, there will be that wraparound care to make sure that people don't reoffend. Member for Kelowna Mission, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This minister wants to explain away the increase in violent crime as a societal failure. But it is this NDP government that's done nothing to address those failures over the last five years, and they've allowed crime to get worse. In fact, the crime on our streets is directly related to the policy decisions of this NDP government five and six years ago, and now the inaction of this NDP government and the failed policies of these attorney generals. What is confirmed in court transcripts for Mr. Collins is what is happening again and again under the former attorney general's catch and release justice system. This is what the Kelowna police had to say, and I quote, Justice, sorry, Justin Collins has demonstrated no respect for the courts or justice system, and he blatantly disregards the conditions imposed, end quote. But actually, they go on to say that Collins, and I quote again, has no regard for the safety and well-being of others, end quote. This should never be accepted as just a fact of life in this province. Will the Attorney General take action and direct Crown Council prosecutors to keep dangerous offenders in custody? Yes or no? Attorney General. I, I, I thank the Honourable Member for her question. I've said in this place, and I will say it again, that that is a matter that has been actively under review for some time, and it's part of the tools and the toolkit to which I referred. But Mr. Speaker, 25 of the recommendations that have made, were made by the Lepard Butler uh, report are still under consideration. Some of them are in the very same places to address some of the same issues that the member was referring to. Um, we, we accept that reforms are, are, are needed in some areas. I've, in, I've indicated some of the very uh, aggressive programs that we are implementing and will continue to do so. On the release part of this, of, the, of this issue, though, there are federal laws and charter rights to bail that must be acknowledged, and the Crown Council are subject to those laws, as Crown Council are in every part of this province. If those laws are to be changed, they will be changed by the federal government, and they will be changed with the active instigation of our, our province, our Minister of Public Safety, and this Attorney General will continue to push for those reforms. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. This is the hottest October on record. It's been almost three months since it rained. A rainforest is on fire. Cedar trees are dying. In Heltsuk territory, tens of thousands of salmon died before they could spawn. This government has said they care about climate change, but their actions show otherwise. They continue to approve old-growth logging. 
they have failed to meet the requirements of their own Climate Accountability Act, and they have subsidized LNG Canada's new fossil fuel infrastructure. But it's not just what the public sees that should concern all of us. It's what's happening behind closed doors that's also alarming. In a climate emergency, this government meets with oil and gas lobbyists sometimes more than 80 times per month. This government has chosen to expand fossil fuel infrastructure and use public funds to massively subsidize LNG Canada, more subsidies than even the BC Liberals were willing to offer. Their actions do not match their words. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Premier. He may not be able to make it rain, but he can fulfil his promises to the public and his duty to protect public interests over private interests. We are in a climate emergency. Will the Premier and his government commit to limiting the number of meetings they have with oil and gas lobbyists? Government House Leader. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for her question. Um, as the member knows, uh, in this House, because when she sat um, in the previous, uh, the previous uh, uh, Parliament, uh, we worked very hard on a climate action plan. That climate action plan is in place. Our government takes its commitments under that extremely seriously. In terms of our oil and gas and how they fit into that and the work that's being done on those, on those areas, uh, it's cross-ministry work to ensure that we are working to ensure that our, our climate action plan that we have in this province uh, is one that, that works for the people of this province and meets our goals, and we will continue to do that. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I did a quick review before coming in here, and the lobbyist registry, which exists because of the agreement between our caucus and the government in the previous parliament, now exists, and we can see the lobbying activities. 11, over 1,100 times oil and gas lobbyists met with this government in one year. It's not just that this NDP government meets with oil and gas lobbyists. Oil and gas lobbyists are embedded right into their party infrastructure. They aren't just acquaintances. They aren't just friends. They are family. This government's regular political pundit, Mo Sahoda, is a lobbyist for wood fiber LNG. The Minister of Health's former chief of staff and the Minister of Jobs' former campaign manager, Stephen Howard, is a fossil fuel lobbyist. Their former provincial director, Michael Gardner, lobbies for Termaline Oil Corporation and Pembina Pipeline Corporation on behalf of Strategies 360. The list goes on. The governing party's chief election officer, the very individual recommending the disqualification of a climate activist from their leadership race, is herself a, formal, a former fossil fuel lobbyist. Tell me again this government is not beholden to the corporate interests of fossil fuels, because this seems like a heck of a lot of connections. Honourable Speaker, my question through you is to the Premier. How can the public trust that this government is acting in the public interest when oil and gas lobbyists are so deeply embedded in their own party infrastructure? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, 
I simply reject uh, the member's premise, although I thank her for the, uh, the question. And I think it's important to, uh, to point out that we meet from people who are classified as lobbyists from many perspectives. Let me talk about it from the number of people I meet with. I meet with representatives of environmental organizations who want to uh, protect uh, particular uh, areas of land or conserve particular areas of land, some of which uh, we entertain and some of which uh, we don't. I meet with, uh, with people who want to talk about our climate plan and how effective it is. I also meet with representatives either from or on behalf of the oil and gas industry. And let me tell the member what we talk about. And then let me ask the member and the public, through you, Honourable Chair, um, whether they would rather I not have these conversations. Among the conversations I have with them are meetings to seek to clarify how they can meet the climate objectives that we've laid out in policy, what the sectoral targets for oil and gas mean, um, how we can work with them to reduce methane emissions to help meet the targets. And I also talk to them about their plans to transition to different forms of clean, non-carbon energy, like hydrogen. So, through you, Honourable Speaker, I would ask the member, would the member on behalf of British Columbians rather that we not talk to an existing industry in British Columbia employing many people and supplying, for now, energy that people use about how they decarbonize as quickly as possible and transition to clean energy, which is where the world is going. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. To, to the Attorney General, I listened very carefully a, a few moments ago when he uh, responded to a question from my colleague uh, about the rationale for not proceeding with the uh, draft directive that the government received six months ago. And it did have the benefit of reviewing uh, that draft document almost six months ago when it was first tabled in this assembly. He will know that the draft directive makes specific reference to incorporating the applicable provisions of the criminal code. So I'm curious to know two things. A, why did it take six months for the Attorney General and the government to disclose the answer he's just provided today? Six months of we're studying, we're considering, we're reviewing. The obligations in the criminal code and the requirements of the criminal code set out the considerations that the court must consider in determining whether or not someone is to be released. What we are asking, what the public is asking, and what the directive sets out is a basis upon which prosecutors will ask the court ask the court and recommend to the court the detention of chronic, prolific, dangerous offenders. So why has it taken six months for that answer? And how does the attorney reconcile that answer with a draft directive that specifically incorporates the provisions of the criminal code that he says 
are an impediment to moving ahead. Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. The criminal code provisions, uh, as the member uh, points out, in involve the court's considerations of certain criteria that are set out in the criminal code. To direct an, a Crown Council to do something that is inconsistent with those criteria, even in the context of repeat offenders, I'm advised members, by members. competent criminal law counsel is simply not acceptable, would be in contradiction to the specific sections of the criminal code. Mr. Speaker, that does not mean that a directive isn't possible, and I've said it, I'll say it again, it's something that we are, have been examining and will continue to, to examine. But I cannot and will not direct Crown Council to do something that is contrary to the Charter and contrary to the Criminal Code, and that is the advice, Mr. Speaker, that I have received. Member for Prince George McKenzie. Under the former Attorney General's catch and release system, prolific offenders regularly breach probation and fail to comply with conditions like not possessing weapons, and yet they're not charged. They are arrested and released multiple times, and each time they can fail to show up in court without any consequences whatsoever. This is one of the reasons that six months ago I called for a dedicated Crown Council to focus on violent prolific offenders. The Attorney General failed to answer my question yesterday. Why hasn't the NDP taken immediate action and assigned a dedicated Crown Council to focus on violent offenders and put public safety ahead of a criminal's right to reoffend? Attorney General. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for Prince George Mackenzie for that question. In fact, it was in his suggestion and was incorporated into Lepard Butler's recommendation, in other words, for a dedicated Crown Council, and I can tell you that that is under active consideration. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, for six months now, we've been calling on this government to take action to try to stop the harm that the former Attorney General's catch and release system has been creating in our communities. And for six months, this government has refused to take any actions that are directly under the purview of the provincial government. Instead, they keep blaming others. They could be reviewing and changing charge assessment and full disclosure policies. They could implement more community courts across the province. Those began under the BC Liberals, but they could be expanding them. They could give the forensics division the resources they need to properly and, and quickly process evidence to address the delays that can take up to 18 months for something to advance. But instead of taking action, Mr. Speaker, this Attorney General shrugs his shoulders and calls violent, random attacks on our streets a fact of life. Six months, Mr. Speaker, that's been almost 1,000 people attacked in Vancouver alone in that six-month time by violent, prolific offenders. When is this going to stop? When is this delay going to stop? The blame game going to stop? And this Attorney General take the proper steps to protect our communities instead of the criminals. Attorney General. Government House Leader. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I appreciate the question from the member, but I, I want to lay out for the member that uh, this side of the House, this government has been taking action on a number of fronts when it comes to community safety. 
both in terms on the enforcement side and on the prevention side and on the upstream side, as the, uh, the mayor of uh, the new uh, mayor-elect of Vancouver talked about, the upstream things that need to be dealt with. The member mentioned forensics. As I mentioned yesterday, we put in place the first forensic firearms lab in this province to ensure that police have the ability to deal with weapons, to be able to make more timely investigations as opposed to having to send weapons to, to uh, back east to Ottawa. At the same time, we've also worked very closely with local governments who said they were having a problem. They asked us to look in, in, into, those, into their concerns, to come back with the statistics. As a province, we did that and agreed to do that work on a collaborative basis. That resulted, I know, um, in the, uh, the Lepard Butler report with the recommendations in there, the 28 recommendations. Three of those recommendations are being actively implemented. The other 25, many align with work that's already underway in mental health and addictions and health and the Attorney General's ministry. All of those are concrete actions. This is, a, this is, not, a, a silver, this is not just, you know, a, a, a flick a switch and you'll solve the problem. There's a whole range of issues that have to be dealt with. And, as the Attorney General has laid out, the criminal code is a critical, critical part of that. That when changes were made that have unintended consequences, they have an impact on our communities. And we recognize that, as do other provinces that have been working to get those changes. And I understand the opposition when they say, oh, it's just a meeting. No, it's not just a meeting. It's about the provinces and the federal government getting together going that there needs to be urgent action taken. We are going to continue to push for that at the federal level, at the work at the provincial level, and at the local level. Because I know that every single member in this House takes public safety and the safety of the people of this province seriously. And all of us want to ensure that that takes place, Honourable Speaker, and this government is committed to doing that. Member for Campbell's North Thompson, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the problem with the, with the Solicitor General's answer there was that uh, there's also all the machete attacks. There's also the hammer attacks that people are experiencing on a regular basis. There's all the other types of forensics that are needed to advance. The electronics forensics that are backlogged for 18 months to try to get evidence out of a phone. It's not just about the guns. It's the, the, uh, the Solicitor General referenced gangs. We've had shootings upon shootings upon shootings and burned vehicles on a regular basis on the same day as violent prolific offenders. The reality is this government has had months and months and months to take action. They haven't. We're simply asking when they will prioritize victims' rights over those of the criminals and actually enact some of these actions we've asked for over the last six months. Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And again, I will point to that. Uh, in response to the, to the member's questions, point out additional uh, measures that have been taken by this government. And he talks about the gang shootings that have taken place, and that's right. There have been, just as they were when the Leader of the Opposition sat on this side of the House. But since our time in government, we've put in place the Witness Security Program. First, made in BC program that is aided in the prosecution of those individuals who engage in those kinds of crimes. 
and they have had considerable success in getting those people off the streets. And there have been a number of high-profile cases this year that have resulted in some significant arrests. The member raises the issue around weapons. Again, we want to see changes there so that those kinds of individuals who engage in those heinous crimes do go behind bars. And part of the solution to that, again, is making some changes that we've worked with our provincial counterparts on in the Halifax meeting and brought to the attention of the federal government. And I'll give two examples, because one they mentioned yesterday. The issue of bear spray, an attack that took place. We want to get that to be a restricted weapon. Manitoba wants to get that to be a restricted weapon. The feds now understand that. I'd like to see, and we'd like to see reverse onus when it comes to bail, for example, on those individuals who use weapons. There is right now for firearms, but there should be for, for knives. There should be for those who engage with, with a weapon to cause bodily harm to people, Honourable Speaker. So we have put in place a number of initiatives. We are working on additional initiatives, but it's going to take all of us, the federal government, the provincial government, and local government, to be able to do all of the things that need to be done. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, unfortunately, the Honourable Member still seems focused on things which are in federal jurisdiction. And in the meantime, there are many, many options that we've laid out that could be immediately taken on to address the issues that we're facing here in British Columbia. This crisis is going from bad to worse, and there are more victims every single day. The young man in Yaletown stabbed to death by a random stranger. The woman followed into her apartment by a stranger and assaulted. The nearly fatal stabbing of a food delivery worker. Violent stranger attacks like this should never be accepted as a fact of life. There are many tools that the provincial government has, but they're choosing not to use them. More resources for Crown prosecutors and for forensics, dedicated Crown counsel for prolific offenders, a directive to prosecutors to seek custody for violent prolific offenders. Mr. Speaker, we can't afford any more talk and inaction that allows violent prolific offenders to be released to victimize someone else at any time, let alone two hours and 18 minutes later. How many more people have to be assaulted, injured, or even die before this government takes action? Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I, I thank the member for the question, but I want to correct uh, something that the member said. Nobody, nobody on this side of the House or on that side of the House thinks for one moment that violent crime, random attacks on anybody is a fact of life. It is something that is completely unacceptable. What we recognize on this side of the House is that there are a lot of complex issues and I am not pointing and saying that this is at the federal government's doorstep. What I am saying is that all three levels of government have a role to play and have a responsibility of areas under their jurisdiction. 
in the province, we are doing what we can in terms of areas where we have control over, and we'll continue to do that. And we'll continue to look at and work on implementing good ideas. At the local level, communities have programs in place. But I will repeat once again, the Criminal Code of Canada is the jurisdiction of the federal government. We know that, and we are committed and want to get things changed. And that's what we're working to do. As I've said earlier, at the provincial level, whether it's concrete um, investments in forensics, in um, intelligence, in terms of combating crime, that police themselves specifically ask for, we have put those investments and those programs in place. We've also worked with local governments and local communities to deal with what's happening in their specific communities on prevention programs that reflect the makeup of those communities. And that's the approach that we are going to take. We know the importance of mental health that was recognized by the all-party committee in their unanimous report. All of that work is underway and will continue to, to be underway to ensure that we keep our communities and other citizens of our province as safe as we possibly can.